right, so here we are, folks. Episode number 11, I think, Bob. Wow, two, we've two done guys. 11 of these already. I know, That's 11. exciting. Two guys in the cloud. And uh, actually, this episode is, I think, very exciting. I know it's sprawling, and I know it's going to become thought-provoking and probably create a lot of angst. And, of course, we're talking about security. And uh, with us is Riaz. Riaz, help me with your last name. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it correct. It's back. Okay. So Riaz uh, joins us. Now, this is actually a first for us here at Two Guys in the Cloud, is that Riaz is joining us from Pakistan. We have we a guest. We are international. We this are big, international. Big time. Big time. So that's just incredible to me. I'm so excited about that. So Riaz, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, it's interesting technology. I'll go and, you know, age myself again. I can remember when, you know, you would call internationally and there would be a delay and everything. And it feels like Riaz is in the next room. So it's just amazing to me. Yeah, uh, agreed. And that we're we're doing all this, you know, over over the web with video video and all of it. It's just incredible. Um, so Riaz, huge, huge conversation around security today. Uh, and and what I'd love to do first is, you know, we've sort of made a tradition here of doing a, hey, what, how did you get to this place? What, what's your background? I mean, what, what brought Riaz into the world of technology and then the world of security? Sure. Actually, when I started my career, it was more of a system support engineering, and I was more interested in actually the network side of the house. So I actually started my career as a system engineer. And I got a chance to work on the Exchange, and that's where my love for Microsoft started. And I started working on Microsoft solutions like Exchange, Link back in the days, and then SharePoint, and slowly move over to the cloud. But for the past four to five years, working with my enterprise customers all the time, security is one of the key area that I have seen with a customer that they are missing in their solutions, or the rapid changes that are coming in from the vendor side they're not able to keep up to this speed with those changes that are coming in and how they can protect with that. So that's where I actually started to work more and more around security back in 2014 and 15, if I remember correctly. And then again, this year, it was huge for me because I was able to pass my CISSP and CCSP exam within one year with my single attempt for both exams. Congratulations. I don't even believe that, but it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Yep. So now with, you know, looking at the reports and the trend that's going on, especially the recent one, which we all have seen with the FireEye as well with the Red Team tools. So I think it's today we live in an era where we have cloud, where we have, you know, analytics, where we have data and the missing component is the security. And we do have the tools and everything available, but for an individual or an organization to be successful, one side when they're leveraging the cloud to have, you know, uh, running their workloads in the cloud with an ease of deployment, we need to make sure that we have the automation and we have the required tools and the products that can help that automation as well to work in a secure way. Otherwise, this automation where we can build thousands of servers, just an example, within five minutes, is not going to help us if it's not secure. Right. right. Security is such a, a big uh, topic, right? Riaz, it could go many different ways. But with that said, I'm really interested in digging into some of your exchange to Lotus Notes stories. Do you think that'd be relevant to the audience? <laughs> I'm just kidding, everybody. <laughs> No, I mean, back know, in my day when I was selling exchange against Lotus Notes, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember those days, too. Yeah, Riaz, it's good to get the background. It really helps. I mean, I always appreciate the journey that, you know, each of us have been on to get where we are. So today you're um, on the security uh, staff at Insight. Um, what what? So what does your typical role look like or what's your, you know, how if you were introducing yourself today, well, how would you do that? So today I'm actually leading a team for our enterprise customers where I'm responsible for the delivery of the solution around Azure, Microsoft, or I would say the Microsoft stack along with security. 
And when I say security, we talked about the you know application security, the CASB solutions, identity security, their security operations, and in some form, we, I also have the team to actually do the security engineering and architecture work for the customer too. Perfect. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. All right, good. So, um, and I know that we don't have to keep our our box of conversation today to just Microsoft. I'm sure we could go all over the place, but um, you know, I know we'll end up spending a ton of time around Azure. But um, yeah, I mean, I I guess you know, I, I was thinking about this conversation and wondering where to start, and I guess. I'm I'm thinking maybe, you know, there we're, we want to talk about security in the cloud. So what what's unique about the cloud versus what I think we may have said is a you know traditional environment or non-cloud environment? What are the things you have to really worry about first and foremost from a cloud perspective if you think about security? I mean, if we think about the security, actually, there are two different parameters from a cloud perspective that we need to consider, right? At least what I I look at from a you know security perspective. The first one is your identity. We need to make sure that your identity is secure because the reason is in our native environments or the legacy environments where if even I know your identity and your username and password is uh, known to me, I am getting into your environment through your firewall. So your might be your security firewall team. Actually, they have the rules to deny my request, right? But with the cloud, your identity, once it's being compromised, as a bad actor, anyone can access your uh, information, and then from there they can actually get into your organizational data as well, because there's access from anywhere, and that's what we had a benefit from a cloud perspective too. Uh, so first one is the identity that I should look at when I talk to the customer, and then you actually branch it out to the other parameters on the security side as well, like your data in the cloud, right? And this is one of the biggest misconceptions from a customer perspective. And I have seen this with some of my friends as well as when we talked about the data security in the cloud, like uh, in Office 365 or AWS or Azure or GCP, we what we have is that as a customer, we need to understand this one is even though the data is uploaded to the cloud on the, you know, any public cloud provider, the Confidentiality and the security of the data responsibility lies with us, not with the cloud provider. If we have a data breach, it's not the fault of the cloud provider, it's our fault. So at the end of the day, we will be, you know, we will be on the hook for the data breach. Even though we can have a backend conversations, legal stuff, which I don't want into the uh, have a conversation to that, but at the end of the day, it's my data. I made a decision to upload that data to the cloud. And from a compliance and legal perspective, I'm responsible for that data breach, even though it's a, uh, you know, it's a misconfiguration or it's something on the uh, public cloud provider side that caused a data breach. But I am the one who is responsible for that data breach. Yeah, and from a from a legal perspective, from a liability perspective, is that what you're saying? It's it's yes. you know. You know, from a technical perspective, yes, absolutely. The data may exist within the cloud infrastructure, but, you know, I have made a commitment to my customers or my stakeholders to take care of that data. I'm the one who chose to put it into the cloud. So, you know, in the end, I'm responsible regardless. So, yeah, I, you know, that and that's fair and that's real. Um, and you're right, it does create this legal conversation, which I think is you know, I, I've always been fascinated by the intersection of legal and technology. It's always changing and it's always hard for for legal to catch up with the development of technology. And this is certainly one of those areas. Um, but let, let's get back to identity really quick. So when we talk about identity, um, I'm immediately brought to authentication or, you know, what what is identity? And, you know, I guess what you're saying is the protection of your identity. First and foremost, is that fair? And yeah, I mean, maybe, so maybe we, we can talk about that. Yeah, when, when we talk about the identity component, we need to understand is in the cloud, everything that you have permission and access perspective, that access or the permissions, they are tied up with an identity. And as an identity, I'm referencing a credential information, right? And that credential information is assigned to a user, like you have a user account, Riaz has his account, Bob has his own account as well, right? So what a bad actor or a, 
external party when they're trying to get into that data or information they're trying our account or named identities right my username and my password so that's why in that cloud when we talk to the customer and when we talked about the cloud identity security we we have multiple controls that we can do like as of today i mean if you ask me i would say multi-factor authentication at minimum is the baseline that we should have in place and then the second one which i should look at is again you can go into the deep dive into the you know device management compliance policies and you know geofencing and those type of things but your multi-factor authentication is the minimum that you should have enabled for all your user accounts because username and password it's not hard to break that one right especially when you're against a public cloud and i mean you can use a public cloud service as well to actually hit and try different brute force attack and you know different patterns for the password and you will be able to actually break one or two users accounts easily because just an example mostly the vendors or the contractors they tend to create simple passwords because they're working for multiple customers and they they don't want to remember complex passwords for each customer right so they usually tend to have simple passwords for the customer so that they can easily log in and that password does meet their complexity requirement as well uh, one of the example that i used to give to my colleagues and my friends as well is like hey guys usually what we see from a password policy perspective is eight characters right with uppercase lowercase and special character and i can easily meet this password policy by having a password of abc at one to three dollar dollar that does meet your complexity requirement that does meet your uh, you know special character numeric character lowercase and that's what the default that comes in with active directory and if so someone needs to break that password it's literally less than two minutes Great. So Riaz, so obviously this is important. Um, can you talk about what happens when a client doesn't do this? I would assume we're talking about things like ransomware attacks. You, you mentioned bad guys, right? But what are you seeing that happens to a client if they're not following, um, you know, good security protocols in the public cloud? I mean, again, if we're not following the good security protocols in the public cloud, we are actually vulnerable, right? There are a lot of you know uh, vulnerabilities available. Just an example is, I even have seen the clients using a basic authentication protocol, which sends your information in clear text, right? Your username and password. And if I sniff that information on the network, I can clearly see what type of data you're sending and you are receiving the data, right? And I can just do a copy of the data. And so then, wait, really quick. Um, when you say sniff, right? I, I, can you expand on that for two minutes, just for the folks that may be listening and you know don't understand exactly what you're saying? Because it's it's fairly insidious, and we take it for granted that you you know <laughs> you can do this, right? And I'd love for you to if you could just sort of flesh that out a bit, just to saying you know this is what people can do, this is what bad people can do to a network. You know, like just can you go into that for a minute? Yeah, sure. So. Network sniffing is like what we do is we capture the network traffic with the part uh, with the help of a third party tools or I would say with the help of tools only. And those tools actually capture everything that you send on the wire, right? You're sending your credit card number information, just an example, your authentication, username and password information. You're sending your, you know, any other sensitive information on the wire. Once I actually sniff that, I can easily extract that information from the tool in a human readable form, and I can see what that data looks like. Wow. Right. So, yeah. So, when you say on the wire, you mean on the internet. And yep. it, in effect, it's like putting a bug on a telephone. You know, you can you can grab all that data and <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> and some of that data, you know, uh, well, I would imagine if it's authenticated, I mean, if it's encrypted data, you would get the encrypted, you wouldn't be able to decrypt the data with a sniffer. You would just get the raw, you know, the data that hadn't been decrypted, right? Or yeah. how, let me understand that. So, yeah, so the, when I say the basic authentication or the legacy protocols, legacy protocols does not encrypt the data from one point to the other point. So it's going in a clear text. Okay, so okay. It's very easy, right? With the modern authentication, right? When we talked about a modern authentication, what it does, it actually encrypts the data from the source to the destination. 
So even though, let's say, if you sniff that data from a corporate network, just an example, uh, you sniff the data, it's going to be very hard for you to decrypt that data. Right. I'm actually so, adding a complexity for you before you can read that information. Which makes sense again. Um, yeah, and that's the thing with this conversation is you can just end up going deeper and deeper and deeper. So I, I have taken you away from Bob's original question. Um, so I, I will, I will revert back to that. So um, you were talking about, yeah, I think ransomware and what happens, you know, along the lines of what happens if they don't do these protocols. Right. Yeah, I mean, so what we have seen is, you know, that these basic authentication protocols are a multi-factor authentication because your password, as I said, that you know, based on uh, is just my reference information that I have is uh, most of the organizations they actually use the password policy of eight characters, right? With uppercase, lowercase, and I give you the example that ABC at one to three dollar dollar does meet that password complexity requirement, right? And to break that password is less than two minutes job, right? So as a bad actor, if you do not have any second factor authentication like uh, RSA or semantic or duo or Azure authentication or something, the bad actor, once they break the password and they get into your systems, they can actually do a you know lateral movement path to your administrative accounts in the organization so that they can exfiltrate your data. And your data is what you are trying to secure all the time. Once your and, data has been gone, then you are actually on the risk. And, and I think just back to your earlier point, the difference with the cloud versus you know, let's call it the on-premise environment, is that there's just so many different ways to in, in, engage or interact with your network. You know, what I mean by that is mobile or, you know, Internet of Things or being on site. There's just so many different um, facets or ways to engage the network where your identity can be stolen. And that I think that's the first point, right? So whereas in a traditional environment, you have to, maybe sit down in front of a workstation, authenticate into that workstation. That was that only point where you may have had risk associated with your identity. But with the cloud, that identity goes with you. It's with the phone, it's with wherever else you are, you know, authenticating from different devices anywhere, right? So it, because of those multiple points of vulnerability, that's one thing that's different about the cloud when it comes to security versus the traditional environment. I think that that was the first part in that conversation is that right is that what you're saying yep. yep that's right okay and then okay so you know getting back to this idea of ransomware right you know i think bob was you know onto something there you know it's like all these bad things can happen you know and and every day it seems like we um hear and see about a new iteration of what the bad guys can do you know and of course when we're talking about ransomware it's when a bad guy grabs very sensitive data and says to, you know, in, in effect, the corporation or the organization, if you want this data back, you're going to have to give me money. And if you don't give me money, I'm going to publish it out to the community. And then the, that sensitive data will be exposed. And people pay that money, by the way. Um, I find that fascinating. And then, you know, and then there's anything else that can happen. Have you have you worked on a ransomware type scenario? Yeah, we uh, actually even at inside. We have worked on some of the ransomware attacks as well with the customers where they were being attacked and again there are different methodologies to resolve that right and one example is because what a ransomware is we need to understand that right a bad actor or someone is encrypting your data and you as an individual you don't know how to decrypt that one so either you pay me and i will give you the decryption keys so that you can decrypt the data into a normal form right or if you have a backups available, that's why backup is really, really important as well, is if you have a backup available, you can simply restore your data from the backup. If your backups are compromised as well, then there, then there's a different situation, right? Then you need to work in a different way. Okay, fair, and I appreciate the way you corrected that. So it's not that I've got the data and I'm gonna expose it. It's like, you can't use the data until- right, I, I'm gonna lock it down. Yeah. I'm gonna shut your business down, right? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And and you know I'm I'm told that there are customers that actually end up paying this. Is that have you been in that scenario? Luckily, not yet. 
<laughs> okay, good for you. <laughs> I guess yeah, good for our good. clients too. That's, that's that's good. I can't imagine being in that situation. I did hear you talk about how that's one reason why backup is so important. Um, what I mean, so what else are you seeing today? You know, like so if you, you know, this world is always changing. So what's the flavor of the month? You know, what what are the vulnerabilities that people, bad people are exploiting today? What are you seeing? I mean, again, there are many, but I would stay focused on the identity side because if even in my own experience as well, I would say probably six out of 10 customers do not have MFA, even for their administrative accounts as well, which is a huge risk, right? Yeah, I'm surprised at that number. And, you know, so just to connect the dots for folks, MFA, multi-factor authentication, you know, this is the idea that you know, when we typically talk about regular authentication, we're talking about username and password. And in the world, you know, that we live in, we say that that would be something that um, you know, you know, and multi-factor authentication is then you have layers of that. So it's something that you know, something that I am. Um, I forget what it is. It's something that you know, something, something you have. have, something you have. So, you know, many of us have always been around tokens, right? Uh, RSA is a brand that we've heard in our industry for a long period of time. And a, a token would have um, some sort of, you know, a chip that would allow to authenticate that because I have this token, I'm able to, you know, authenticate in addition to my username and password. Or that token may have a number that, you know, uh, is a one-time only number that cycles every 30 seconds. And I can use that number to authenticate in addition to my username and password. And these are just, another, and I'm, Riaz, I'm sure you've got a dozen other examples that would be good to talk about, but that multi-factor authentication really adds exponential layers of security to my identity beyond just username and password. Yep, and, and as part of uh, one of the study that I was reading like uh, probably three or four months ago from Microsoft, um, I think in that study report that Microsoft shared is, uh, they said that approximate like 70, 8% of the tenants that they have seen or the customers, they do not have MFA in neighbor. And in the same wow. report, they actually shared the number that if you have MFA in neighbor for all your users along with your admin accounts, you are reducing the attack vector by 97%. Yeah, you know, huge low hanging fruit. Why, why do yep. you think we have clients that have not done that or do not do that? Yeah, is it expensive? Because it seems like a no brainer. Right. No, I mean, it's not expensive, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's more of a complexity and the end user education. Sometimes, again, from an organization to organization, there are different variations from an end user perspective, right? Some Sometimes the user is way too much cooperative and you're good to do it. And it's more of your administrative side of the house, which is having the issues or they have different controls implemented because of which the security or the IT team feels like they do not need to have MFA in neighbor. Right. And sometimes it's your end user uh, community to whom you're supporting. Right. Because, again, you need to consider your end user experience as well and the education. Uh, just an example. I mean, I can think of right now the healthcare industry where you have a, you know, shared resources, the shared point of, uh, you know, uh, systems in your hospitals or the medical facilities, which are being used by multiple staff members. Right. And then having a multi-factor authentication to, for those devices or users is a little bit challenging. And then again, this goes beyond that is, you know, your BYOD policy. You do get a resistance from an end user perspective is, I'm not going to use my personal device for corporate application or for my corporate work, right? Because you need to have something for you to do the second factor authentication. Right. So quick question, Riaz, would you say that most companies have MFA for their um, on-prem network and data center, but not the cloud, or they just don't have uh, MFA at all? Uh, they don't have MFA at all. I mean, on for oh, on-prem, okay. I mean, what I was referencing is like, we usually get a response, oh, we have, you know, four, five, six egress points, right? Or ingress and egress points. And we are security on those points. So we are secure because we know our entry and exit points. So I'm securing them. With the cloud, you don't know your entry point. I'm connecting from my home in Pakistan. I'm connecting from Dubai or anywhere in the world. That's the beauty of the cloud, right? So right. you don't know from where I'm accessing. But again, implementing MFA is not complex or difficult. 
it's more of a year adoption and then adoption goes back with the organizational change management, how you communicate and how much you have buying from your senior leadership team as well. It's amazing to me how, you know, human beings end up being the weakest link over and over again when it comes to security, you know, in the sense that like what I what I think you're saying, Riaz, is many, many of our clients won't enable MFA because it creates a inconvenience for their employees who may not want to go through that process, may not understand why it's important, may not want to deal with it on a personal device. And as a result, there's vulnerability. And I think about that as it relates also to um, privacy. You know, I mean, so often as humans, we've given up, you know, privacy because of the convenience that's tied to the experiences that we've grown accustomed to. I mean, or, or if you think about identity theft, so often it's because of social engineering. You know, I mean, and how do you overcome something that I, humans are very complex? How do you overcome that? How do you deal with that? And to double click on that, you know, I think it's interesting that um, companies think they're secure or maybe have some security policy or not at risk. And then they all, all of a sudden open themselves up to the public cloud and you're just expanding that risk by, you know, 1000 times. Because now you're, like you said, you're open to everybody being able to access it. So even if you feel secure, maybe on your on-prem, and yet you don't uh, take that same precaution to the cloud, now you're opening it up to to more people. And that just, that amazes me, I'm, the risk involved in that. So, Yeah, I mean, so again, multi-factor authentication, uh, again, as I said, it's, it's not complex. It's actually how you design and implement and you drive your adoption, right? Um, if I talked about the MFA options, we, you know, the typical scenario that comes into mind is, oh, okay, we need to have our end users. They need to have XYZ application installed, whether it's an RSA, whether it's a Duo, whether it's a, uh, you know, um, Azure MFA or anything, right? They need to have that application installed and then the conversation starts around, BYRD or the company on devices as well, how it's going to happen. Then the second one that we think about, again, a privacy component, uh, as you said, Lloyd, uh, but there are other parameters as well based on every user requirement or uniqueness. You have multiple options available that can cater your 99.99% of the user population. And I mean, to be honest with you, like, I mean, in my experience, the customers that I have worked with in the, uh, in the last five to seven years, working on an MFA project or securing the identity projects, the solutions that we talked about with the customers and the implementation, yes, we did get the feedback, you know, during the design or the discovery phases that, you know, we consider this product and we had these, 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 uh, you know, concerns from either from an end user experience perspective or other business requirements or the application dependencies perspective. But I don't remember a single project where we end up saying, oh, okay, then we cannot do this project because this cannot be done. There are I, multiple methods available. I, un agreed. Uh, you know, I also think, I wonder, you know, Riaz, you, you live this. I wonder if most of the clients that you get brought into have already experienced a breach, have pain point, and are highly motivated to listen. Uh, to be honest, I mean, again, <laughs> I'm in the field and I'm doing this work for the last 10 to 12 years now. I think either uh, probably like, you know, when I'm having these conversations with a client and if they have a breach, then to be honest with you, there's no uh, no brain on that. Oh, let's do this. You know, at that time, it was more of a checklist to get it done ASAP and they don't care about the end user experience at that moment, right? Their priority is to get it secure right away. So I think it's either one or two customers where this happened. Otherwise, most of the time, it's more of a like, oh, we are expanding our cloud footprint. We are expanding our services that we are using in the cloud. And now we are considering the security because when we started the cloud, we were doing a POC and slowly the cloud expanded a lot based on the utilizations and the workloads requirements. And now the security is in conversations to protect everything. Because again, we all know that how the cloud starts with the organizations is like, oh, we're just doing a POC for XYZ service in the uh, in the cloud, and then all of uh, 
all of a sudden they just come to the you know table and say, oh, we have this solution uh, live in cloud, right? And the security is not even aware of that. Makes sense. So taking a step back to, you know, I, I said social engineering because that that seems to come up enough too, you know, where as human beings, we end up getting duped into giving up, you know, our information then becomes security risk. Is that still a broad conversation? Are you engaged in that an awful lot? How do we help when it comes to that sort of conversation? Social engineering, uh, I would say this is one of those uh, areas which you can never say that is being resolved or is being done for my organization because we all are human and we can we can make mistakes, right? Just like the spam emails and those type of things. It's never a chance that you can say, oh, I will never get a spam email anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> right. it's always a continuous end user training and education to make sure they are up to the speed and they have adequate knowledge to identify and report to the appropriate channel. And then the teams can take appropriate actions based on the you know reporting done by the users. I'm, I'm always worried that I'm going to be the weak link. I'm going to click. We on all it. are. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, I did that once. I've done, I did that once. Hit the wrong, wrong attachment. Shut my small company's network down for a bit. Oh my gosh. So I that was fun. I would get sick just thinking about that. That's. Yeah, that oh my. I'm so sorry, Bob. Yeah, that was in. Uh, that was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, and they caught it very quickly. Thank goodness. But my. Yeah. That was a uh, yeah. That was not a good moment in my career history there. <laughs> so um, I guess you know, Riaz. I know you're in the enterprise space, um, but as you you know, I'm sure you've had work, you've done work projects in you know, let's call it the mid market, and then the SMB side. Do you feel as if security gets less important or less value the further? you know, you go down into that segment chain, you know, so if you're in the small business space, do you find that those organizations just don't have, you know, the the time or bandwidth or budget to deal with security? I think it's more of a budget component uh, that I have seen uh, because most of the SMBs, they usually have the same IT and the security team, right? The same guy who is implementing the application is the security administrator for that application too. And if I'm the one who needs to implement the same solution and then be the security guy to say that, oh, this application is secure, I will never find issues in my application or in my configurations. Yep. I Yeah, I, I always think it's, um, it's interesting because I, I wonder if, you know, they just, you know, they, they hear it. You know, I, I, we've all had times to work with, you know, small businesses or to be in a small business and they're running at such a pace with such cash flow constraints that it's always easy to prioritize something else until it's too late. And I always wonder, you know, how and when you get them to pivot into, you know, making the right investments at the right time. Um, and I, I know there's not a perfect answer to that, but that, you know, and, and the thing is, just because you're a small business doesn't mean that you know, you don't have massive exposure or liability. You know, you may be a subcontractor to a very big organization and you may have made certain, uh, you know, covenant commitments to that large organization as a vendor or as a partner where you need to maintain certain security postures. And if you don't, you're out of business. You know, I mean, there's there's lots of different ways for that cat, you know, to be addressed. So I think about that sometimes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, I even got a chance to work with one of the customer with less than 10 employees, but they have uh, the because they were they were working something on the medical side and they have to be HIPAA compliant. So they're right. like they have right. like seven or eight employees and I was engaged on that project to make sure they're HIPAA client and I was like, oh, OK, they are going to be like a huge organization and stuff like that. But when I did my work and like, oh, how many employees do you have? Uh, seven. Like, uh, okay, <laughs> because I never saw a customer like, you know, less than 10 years and they are working to get themselves HIPAA compliant. Right, right. Now, the good news is that when you have seven to 10 employees, it's easy to get your employees to sort of sign up to the right behaviors, right? You're not trying to convince 200, 2,000, 20,000 employees to, 
you know, do MFA or to be responsive to certain security policies, it's much easier with seven to 10 employees. So that's a good thing. That's an upside. Yep. That's right. So, um, you know, pivoting to uh, current, current, you know, I guess current news, I, I think, you know, I don't know the details behind it, but wasn't the U.S. federal government breached yesterday? <laughs> wasn't there a big breach yesterday? Am, am I wrong about that? I think the Treasury Department announced something. I didn't hear it. So it was a very effective breach. <laughs> <laughs> well, the NFL was on, so I mean, it was clearly probably. Okay, okay. I, I could have sworn I saw something about the Treasury Department, and you know, I, I always that always blows my mind that you know we have there these very very, you know, you have to imagine the security that surrounds things like, you know the Treasury Department or the federal government. It's very robust, but we we still have those moments where, you know, bad guys can breach them, you know, and it feels as if this is, you know, you think about the war on drugs, you know, it's like, is this a winnable war? You know, can can we actually keep up? You know, that's the sort of conversation I think is interesting. You were correct, Elliot, and uh, they believe it was Russia. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's this level of escalation between, you know, nation states and the amount of dollars and resources that's being put into, you know, security or the penetration of other securities. And, you know, in that environment, it, it seems it, uh, daunting to think about keeping up at a commercial level. So I don't I don't know. I know, Riaz, I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of that. Yeah. And just an FI, I think. I'm not sure the, the breach that you what you're referencing, but I do know that there was an advisory uh, and uh, uh, they actually asked for the U.S. government. Uh, you know, they asked for the agencies to power down SolarWinds Orient products because of a recent breach or uh, the security breach into that product as well. Mm, interesting. Yep. So. Riaz, uh, just kind of changing gears here. Uh, one of the reasons people move to the public cloud is because they feel like it's much more secure than um, their environment ever could be. So, you know, and that Microsoft and Amazon and Google have many more resources to be able to help secure my environment any close to what I could as a small business, medium sized business. What are some of the advantages clients get by going to the public cloud from a security standpoint versus where they are today, for example? It sounds like, you know, uh, MFA is very important, but what are some of the other advantages clients can get by being in the public cloud versus their data center, just maybe right out of the box, um, you know, moving to the cloud? Yeah, I think from a customer perspective, yes, I'm 100% with you. When a customer is moving from an on-prem to the public cloud, yes, they do not have the same level of security that the customer can, you know, the customer wants to have in their on-prem because that of security or the product line is available in the cloud because they're not supporting just one customer; they're supporting hundreds of thousands of customers at a time, right? Right. So that's true because. I cannot have, you know, $5 million invested in my data center just for the security products, right? right. So, as in SMB, but the, uh, you know, the cloud provider does have it and those products are there, but we need to understand that those products and everything which is being deployed on the public cloud provider side, those are more for the infrastructure layer or the underlying infrastructure that's providing the services to me, right? Right. For my data security, for my identity security, or any service that I'm using in the cloud, yes, that service is available to me with a default or the baseline configuration. And I have the options to configure the security on top of that as per my needs because again that public cloud provider is giving me the service with a minimum uh, security configuration to optimize my end user experience because every organization if they go way too restrictive is going to be a pain for every single organization to modify and go you know lower the security settings right versus me as a security admin is configuring those security settings and I'm just doing it as for my requirements. So yes, we do get a lot more security controls, but we need to configure them. 
Yeah, but they're limited. It's a wrong what perception you're that, yeah, it's a wrong perception. Oh, I have MFA available, but I need to configure and enable my users for that, right? Right, right. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so I guess um, for the folks that are thinking about moving to the public cloud that haven't, really understand what your security limitations are once you get there and what you need to protect your data because it could cost you millions of dollars. Um, ransomware is real. It is happening to everybody. Um, it's not whether you will be attacked, it's when you will be attacked and you have to protect yourself. So please understand exactly what you're getting into from a security standpoint and make sure you have the best processes and policies to protect your data once you get there because you're opening it up to a, a whole new portal into your organization and if it's not protected it will eventually burn you you know I, I, this you know this conversation is pervasive throughout the world of technology we have had it in any many different variations in the sense that you know with technology there's always development and with development there's always risk and reward right anything in technology has risk reward tied to it and you know so if you take this conversation the public cloud yeah there's risk going to the public cloud from an on-premise environment but you're balancing that against the reward of going to the public cloud environment with all the benefits that are in a public cloud right and you know that and it's the same if you choose not to go to the public cloud there are you know risk reward benefits in making that decision you know it's it's like anything else and you can mitigate or limit those risks and and you know really benefit from the rewards that are out there by being thoughtful and methodical and you know all of all of what we've talked about in this conversation you know i mean if you sort of you get back to what riaz was saying before it's if you just enable mfa you reduce your risk profile by what 97 percent. that's a very methodical pragmatic decision that helps you take advantage of the rewards to the public cloud while limiting your risks you know it's just about being methodical and thoughtful with any technology this this conversation can be applied i think yeah i mean mfa to me sounds like a no-brainer it's it's to me the analogy is airport security right none of us like going through airport That's security a great, yeah perfect analogy. But we know exactly why we have to do it right we don't love it but we have to do it we understand why it has to be done i mean mfa is a no-brainer yes um, I don't love having to type in a number when I need to get to certain internal uh, applications, but I know why we do it, right? And to me, I, I don't care how much uh, you know feedback we hear from folks that it's too hard to do. Uh, you have to protect your data. It's to, it's a no-brainer now. It's it's wearing a seatbelt because you know it saves your life in a crash. It's you have to get it done. It's a no-brainer. So Riaz, um, you know, what what if we were to talk about, you know, other tools or other, you know, I don't know, efforts that a customer can employ to understand yeah, where yeah, where their risks could be. You know, what 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 what's again the low-hanging fruit there? What what can I do to understand where my exposure is today? I think your data security is the second biggest risk uh, that you need to manage, right? Uh, you have your data that you you need to actually make sure you have appropriate encryption and security controls applied to that data and then you need to have the you know the production of that data available as well because uh, right now data uploaded in the cloud yes it is encrypted for the data at rest but it's not encrypted for the data in transit or it's not encrypted for your for, as per your organization classification and security control requirements right because you have multiple tiers of the data. You have one data which can be consumed publicly, right? One data which is internal to the organization, and then you have further data which can be project specific, department specific, or different categories of the data as well. So you need to make sure that your data is classified and you understand the risk for each data type, right? That public data, if this, this data is being exposed, right? Then what will be the impact to my organization? If I have my internal data exposed, what will be the impact? But if I have my project specific confidential data being exposed, what will be the impact of the organization and how you protect that data exposure as well? That's the second key component that you need to consider when you're migrating over to the cloud as well. 
So one one and this may not be cloud specific. It could be. I, I'm not sure. But I, I'm aware of the tool and I want to bring it up because, you know, I, I feel as if, you know, there, there's other tools. Right. But it's along the line. So I know that Microsoft has a, a security posture, you know, tool that, you know, can be run and it helps identify areas of exposure and there's a score tied to it. You know, a lot like, you know, I know Bob and his team have various tools that are used to establish economic profiles. And there are I know there are some security components tied to that as well. Um, what, 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 you know, like is, can you talk about that tool? Can you talk about other tools that are helpful that way? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the first, the first, sorry, go ahead, Bob. Oh, no, that was just some feedback. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought it was you. Uh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, the Microsoft tools that we're talking about, you know, the, the tools are really, really great from a Microsoft perspective because what it does, it's not only looking at your data but it's also looking at your security controls configurations, right? Uh, it's looking at how you are protecting your identities, how you're protecting your device security, how you're protecting your application security as well. And then it's giving you a score, which you can actually automate as part of your SOC operations uh, to, to keep an eye or raise an alert to see when your score goes down. Because if it goes down, then that means that, you know, something which was configured is being changed and or it's being uh, removed from the configuration. Just an example is all administrative accounts were configured for MFA again, right? And a new admin is being added and he's being bypassed from that admin MFA policy. So your score will go down, right? And then you as a security analyst, you can actually, uh, you know, you can analyze and you can then investigate to see like what happened and why it happened so that you can protect your identities and everything or other security controls in the cloud as well. Then the other tools that I actually, you know, again, from a different vendors, I would talk about like Veronis is one of the example. They actually provide the tools for your data scans to give you the information or types of the data that is being stored in your cloud or in your on-premises as well that you can use. Uh, and then what type of classification that you can actually leverage on top of that. Master does have its own solution in their compliance center, like the you know 365 compliance, where you actually can uh, add different uh, compliance as well to your tenant, and it will evaluate your tenant as per those compliance policies and the data uh, security controls as well. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's like anything else in our world. Also, it's people, process, and technology, and that's why I like talking about the tools sometimes because that can be valuable. Um, actually, Bob, it, it makes me think about a question for you. I, I know okay, that okay. with your teams, um, you know, frequently you are running what I would call, you know, prof, uh, what I would call version control profiles through, you know, your your tools where you can go into an enterprise and say, okay, they're running this software at these versions. Yep. And yep. there are times when that correlates fairly directly to security as well. Um, Right? Am I right about well, that? I well, feel like... it, it, does it does from, from I'm getting a little get feedback. Do you hear that? Okay, better. Thanks. Uh, it, so it's interesting from a security standpoint from when you're running software. Uh, what Microsoft does, obviously, is they will they have uh, supported and non-supported software. Right. If you have older software running in your organization and is no longer supported, that can come with a very expensive maintenance contract to continue the support. So one of the things my team does in one of our assessments, a cloud economics assessment, is really understand if the client has uh, risk in their environment of running unsupported software, because that could easily be attacked. And if you can't support it and it's not maintained, that means you have a risk in your organization. And Microsoft m makes you pay a lot of money. It, they, the maintenance contracts are gigantic to keep unsupported software. And if depending on what type of business you're in, and I'll use manufacturing as an example, they will say, I have a business critical um, application and it hasn't been upgraded and it runs on SQL 2000. And they, they will say, well, we can't change it, right? We have to have it on SQL 2000. So that is a problem and they end up paying these large contracts. So one of the features my, Microsoft has done recently is allowed clients to move to Azure, 
move those applications to Azure and not have to pay the security contract. That can save clients hundreds of thousands of dollars a year by just moving that application to Azure and have it supported there. Yeah, and in that case, you're enhancing your security posture by moving to the cloud. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, that that's the thing with all of this. There's all these different permutations to, you know, the right decision and the right outcome, it seems. So here's another one, Riaz, this will be very controversial. So of the public clouds that, you know, I, that come to mind, so Azure, AWS, Google, um, you know, we can throw a couple of others in there. Is there, you know, any, any of them that are more secure than others any you know that you look at and say they're you know they're not they're not keeping up you know any any sort of broad general characterizations you can make about any of these public clouds when it comes to security uh that's <laughs> that's controversial. Controversial. See, controversial i want that controversy <laughs> here at two guys in the cloud so i think this is my view okay and everybody can have his own view. Uh, when I look at these different cloud providers, what I have found from a difference perspective is, and again, uh, it's not because I'm biased to Microsoft, but I think the Microsoft Azure Cloud is, from my recommendation, is the best one. The reason that I can say is, I had done some security tools, uh, you know, comparisons as well between Microsoft, AWS, and GCP, and other cloud providers as well, like software from IBM. Microsoft is the only one that actually has their own security products. Every single security solution is being built by Microsoft, right? You talked about MFA, you talked about, you know, the key management, you talked about your controls and everything. Everything being offered in uh, Azure is a Microsoft product, right? Yes, you can bring in the third-party products in uh, as part of, of your strategy, but in Azure, you name any security solution that's your requirement. There's an offering available from Microsoft to fulfill that requirement. For AWS or the other public cloud providers, it's not the same case, right? If you talk about the security tools and the products, they do have their own solutions, but they do not cover the complete stack that you need for your enterprise organization. They have the solutions, but it's through third party, right? And that's what I actually like from an Azure perspective is because all the security solutions are available through Microsoft. And because it's a native tools and the solutions from Microsoft, they're tightly integrated and the data flow and everything is end to end encrypted. And as an administrator or even the uh, security analyst, if I have to, you know, analyze any issues, I can easily navigate and the data is available at every single product. It's not a disconnected solution from an implementation perspective. I'm not saying that AWS or GCP or the other clouds, they have disconnected, but that requires a little more configuration and a little more complexities involved with their configurations. But with Azure, it's pretty simple and straightforward. That's a good call out. I appreciate that. So, you know, the thing about this conversation is it never ends. <laughs> It'll go on forever. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, we have met our natural uh, end for this one uh, sure because, because we have a certain time for this show. But Riaz, thank you very much for joining us all the way from Pakistan. That is just incredible. And we really appreciate you spending the time. Um, yeah, I've learned a ton. So thank you very much. Same here. Thanks, Thanks, Thank you, guys. Okay. All right, all. Thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Two Guys in the Cloud, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Happy holidays.